Today we're gonna to be looking at the cost of building or the cost of not building. And I will explain that a bit more as we go throughout this morning. But I wanted to start with kind of a little story. Have you, well, we live in Yapoon. I'm guessing most of you have been to the beach in Yapoon or maybe not the ones in Yapoon, a beach maybe, or you've sat in a sandpit or seen a sandpit. One thing that I love to do with my kids is I love to take them to the beach and just kind of sit and watch them, watch them explore, watch them figure out what things do. Sometimes we go and explore together, but I just love watching them figure things out, dig in the sand. And a few weeks ago, I went to the beach with Josiah and he wanted to build sandcastles. And I was like, okay, well, how about we sit where the sand's a bit wetter? Because when you have wet sand, it's more, well, a little bit wet sand, it's more likely to stick and make a sandcastle. But he was happy to just sit in the dry sand at the top where it's really like soft and soft and cushiony. And so he sat and he was building this sandcastle. He was working really hard, like packing the sand into the bucket. And then he went and he tipped it out. What happens when you tip out dry sand? It just crumbled and it just kind of just was a pile of sand instead of a sandcastle. And he was disappointed, he was like, it's not a sandcastle. And I was like, well, I know, bud, did you want to move over here and we'll try again with a sand that's a bit wetter? And he was like, no, nope, done, went and did something else. But I was thinking about that and I was like, we do that sometimes in our lives, not necessarily making sandcastles, unless you love making sandcastles. Some people don't like the feel of sand on their feet or their hands, but we do that with our lives sometimes. We know that God has a plan for us or God calls us to do something, but we're quite content sitting in this comfortable, like warm, dry sand that's just nicer. We don't really want to get into the gritty, wet sand that we'll be able to actually build in and make something solid in. Sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes we do like that. We feel like we're working hard, but life is just not working. What we're trying to do isn't working. Perhaps maybe it's because we're not in the place that God's called us to be. We're not in the place of his presence where we're able to actually build upon the foundation that is Jesus. So in my personal quiet times over the past few months, I've started reading the Old Testament backwards, which I didn't intend to do. I started in Zechariah, then went to Malachi, and then I was like, you know what? This is really good. Let's just keep going. And so I've been going backwards, and I'm up to Hosea at the moment. But I have been so challenged, and just the Holy Spirit speaking to me through his word, and I felt so, um, I just really felt him say that I need to share this with us today. So we're going to be reading from Haggai chapter 1. And I'm excited to get into this and just see what God speaks to us today because I'm feeling like I'm not going to use all the scriptures that I've gotten here. Just a heads up, Alex. I'm probably going to throw some other ones in. Um, but before we start, let's, will you just pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for this morning. We thank you for this morning. Lord, in these songs that we've just sung, we just want to give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. Lord, we thank you that it is not us, but it is you in us that we were able to build, that we were able to be here, that we were able to worship you. Lord, as we come and read your word this morning, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would open up our minds to understand what your word is saying, that we would hear you clearly speaking to us today, that it's not my words, Lord, but that you would freely flow through me, Jesus. 
I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have so much access to it and that we can read it together now. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who love your word and who love you most. And so we just thank you for what you're going to do. Please guide us now and guide me in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to start by reading Haggai chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm just going to start reading. So on August 29 of the second year of King Darius's reign, the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what is happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I, God, blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It's because of you that the heavens withhold their dew and the earth produces new crops. I have called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. I'm going to stop there for just a moment. There's a lot in what we just read, so we're going to break that down. What did we just read? Well, it starts with Haggai sharing a message that God placed on his heart to share with the people, with God's people. But to understand this, we need to kind of jump back. And I'm going to give us a bit of Bible history. There's a whole heap more to it, but I just, we don't have the time to cover it. Um, But it's really exciting stuff. So prior to where we are right now in Haggai, there had been years of where God's people had been exiled to foreign lands because of their disobedience. So maybe you have heard of Daniel in the lion's den or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. These guys were God's people. They were his chosen people, not just those guys, a whole group of people, the Israelites. And long before Haggai, this group of people, the kingdoms of Israel and Judah, had fallen and were taken as exiles into different places. Now, for 
um, we read about the kingdom of Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar. You can read about that in Daniel. And um, we see that he took these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, but he took them, told them to worship other gods. And they said, no, we are not. We will only bow down to our God, the Lord, the one true God. And then they were thrown into a fiery furnace, but God saved them. Um, so the, these kinds of things were happening. And the reason that these people, God's people, were taken into exile is because they had neglected to follow the Lord. They had made a promise, a covenant with God, and they said, yes, Lord, we will worship you. We will follow you. You are our one true God. But then they didn't keep that promise. God said, if you keep my covenant, if you follow me and obey my commands and don't copy the other nations, then I will bless you. I will be your God. I will be right beside you. And they were like, yes, let's do it. But then they didn't. They walked in their own ways. They started to follow the nations around them. They started to worship these other gods, these idols. They were worshiping them the same way that the other nations were. And it was not what God had called them to do. God called them to be different. God called them and set them apart from these other people to show his light and to show how awesome he was. But they didn't do that. They didn't keep their covenant promise. And so because they did that, God kept his end of the deal, the promise. And he said, well, if you're going to do that, Many years before this in the promise, he said, if you don't obey me, then you will be taken as exiles. Your land will be destroyed. And so that's exactly what happened. They didn't obey God. God kept his promise and he exiled them. And so we see that um, many of them were taken to Babylon and the city of Jerusalem, their beloved Jerusalem was destroyed, completely destroyed. And so many years later, I think a little bit less than seven years later, Babylon, the city that came and took over Jerusalem and took God's people, the ruling power at the tent, they were overthrown by Persia. And at this time, the leader of Persia decided, led by God, to let God's people return to Jerusalem. And so that's kind of where we are in the book of Haggai. God's people, those who were in captivity, who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild Jerusalem, to go back to their home, they went back to Jerusalem to rebuild and to come back to God. And so we actually read about that in Haggai. We read about it in the book of Ezra, which we're going to have a little bit of a look at today, um, in Nehemiah. And it's just, the Bible is all connected. And when we start to read it and understand those connections and see those connections. It's just really, really amazing. I actually said to our youth group a few weeks ago that if reading the Bible is boring, then you're doing it wrong. And it's true. If reading the Bible is boring to you, then I'm sorry, but you're doing it wrong. The Bible is so exciting. The Bible is God's word. It is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword that shows us how to live, shows us right and wrong, shows us the truth. And so if you would like to learn how to read the Bible and not have it not be boring, 
I want to encourage you, there's courses that you can take to learn how to read the Bible, there's Bible studies happening, there's people in this church who would love to walk through the Bible with you to help it just make sense, to help it just come alive because it is alive, it is amazing and awesome. Um, That's just, I digress, but the Bible is so good. The Bible is so good and it is God's word to us and we see these different connections as we start to read it, start to understand it. There's so many connections, and so we're in the book of Haggai, but it is connected to other books in Scripture. So God's people who wanted to go back to Jerusalem, um, they went back, and they had a lot of rebuilding to do because Jerusalem was destroyed. So we read through Ezra um, and Nehemiah, and we see that as they were trying to rebuild, they had all of this opposition coming at them, like stopping them from building, forcing them to stop, just causing them hardship after hardship. And so in Ezra chapter 3, looking at verses 10 to 11, we see that they actually started to rebuild the temple and there was celebration. So verse 10, Ezra 3 verse 10 says, when the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets and the Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had described. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. It was exciting times when the foundation of the temple had been laid. And so if you're following along in notes, when God calls us to build or calls us to something, it's exciting. When we have that foundation laid, it is exciting. I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, for a moment. And I've been looking at the book of Haggai, looking at our lives and how it relates to us, and I've just been amazed at what God does. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, Paul writes, because of God's grace to me, I've laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful for no other, no one can lay any foundation other than what we already have, Jesus Christ. So in Haggai, we see them building a physical temple. For us, we have a foundation. We just sang about it this morning, the foundation of Jesus Christ in our lives. And no one, when we have him as our Lord and Savior, no one can build on that foundation. Oh, no one can change that foundation. It is Jesus alone. And so when we come to know Jesus, when we lay this foundation, just as the Israelites had, there was excitement. It was exciting. And when God calls us to relationship with him, when God calls us to follow him, when God calls us to do something, maybe building a temple, it is exciting. Sometimes we will we'll go and tell others about it. When we come to know Jesus, we go and tell others about it. We've met the Lord when God places something on our heart to share and we have that excitement, we want to tell other people about it. And so this is what happened when they were building the temple. It was exciting. But then over time, sometimes, opposition 
comes. And that is exactly what the people rebuilding the temple had. In Ezra chapter 4, verse 4 to 5, it says, Then the local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. So what had happened was the people of Judah had started to rebuild the temple. They laid this foundation And then they had enemies come and say, stop, basically told them that they cannot do that. They actually had written letters to Persia, to the rulers at the time, to force them to stop building. And so with so much opposition, God's people stopped building. They had a foundation, but they stopped building. And so sometimes building can stop. When we look at our lives, sometimes we come to know Jesus and he's our Lord and Savior and it's really exciting and we want to know him, we get to know him, but then sometimes life happens and the building kind of stops. Sometimes opposition comes, people tell us it's not cool to follow Jesus and it stops. Sometimes God calls us to do something. He places something on our hearts and it's really exciting. But then people say, how are you going to do that? That's not going to work. That's a dumb idea. And it kind of just stops that thing from happening. This is where we are at in Haggai. And so there was actually about a 14-ish year stop on building the temple. They had this foundation just sitting there for 14 years. And so in the meantime, they started to work on their own lives. They started to build their own houses, get themselves settled, make sure that they were comfortable to live their own lives. And so this is where Haggai comes in, and he gives them the word of the Lord. In verse two, Haggai 1, verse 2, it says, This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. The people are saying the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. See, God knew that they hadn't rebuilt yet. And he kind of just straight up says, you guys are saying that it's not time to build it yet. They had reasons for this. I mean, they had that opposition at the start. As we already read in Haggai, they didn't really have much money because they were working hard and it's like their money was just falling out of pockets with holes in it. They were struggling with crops. They'd suffered with drought. And it just seems like now was not a really good time to build a temple. And it made me think, are there things in our life that God asks us to do, but we say it's just not the right time yet, God? Like there's things that we've declined saying yes to because right now it's just not the season to do it. See, God's people in Jerusalem did not think that now was a convenient time to build the temple because they had so much going on in their own lives. They've already started. They already started it. But they were just too busy to finish it. Haggai says again, verses 3 and 4, Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? While building themselves houses to live in was important so they could actually live, building the temple was of greatest importance because the temple was the place that they would go and worship God. It was the place that they would bring their sacrifices, their offerings to him. It was where they would be made right 
with him. It's where the Levites, the priests, would serve God to keep it set apart and holy. It was the place where God's presence was, where the Holy Spirit dwelt, where his name was honored. And it was a reminder to his own people and to the nations around them that God was with them. And so the problem wasn't that they were living in these houses. The problem was their priorities. What they were basically saying was, our lives and our comfort is more important than being in God's presence right now. I have my life and I'm quite comfortable in the soft sand up here. Don't really want to get into the gritty stuff where I'm going to have to build something solid. So like, yes, God is important. God is there. He's real. But I'm just sorting out my own stuff. So the priority was not God or his presence. It was not what God had called them to do. See, they were willing to count the cost of building their own houses, building these luxurious houses, as it says. But the cost of building the temple, the cost of building the very place where they would be able to meet with God was too much. It was too hard. And so after 14 years of neglecting to do that, it must have felt like such a long time. See, at first the work stopped because of the opposition. They were literally told stop by their enemies and by the rulers at the time. But then gradually, it's like they became okay with it. 14 years of excuses. I mean, we have some of you today that are 14 or 13. That's like your whole life of disobedience, a whole life of not doing what God called them to do. 14 years is enough time for dreams to be forgotten, for callings to go stagnant, for people to forget the Lord, for people to forget what God had brought them out of and what God had brought them to do, for God not to be their priority. And then the excuses come and the excuses stay. It's like, oh, God called me to do that in the past, but right now I've got my home and like my home is my priority. Or the temple, it's not been built for 50 years, so what's it going to matter if it just waits a few more years? It's not a big deal. Or now it's not the right time because it's going to get in the way of what I'm trying to do. A bit later, later it'll be better. Once I've got my stuff right, then I'll go and do what God's calling me to do. Then I'll go and sit in his presence. Or right now I can't afford to do that. I don't have enough time or I don't have enough money. I'm trying to get my own stuff done. Oh, my neighbors have three chariots. They're the ones that need to be giving to the work of God, not me. They can sell one of theirs. I don't have that much stuff. Or my neighbors, they've already, look at them. They've already finished their projects. They've already finished all of their building. They have more time to focus on the presence of God. They've got more time to focus on the rebuilding of the temple. Right now, I just cannot. I can't even. And so while the excuses pile up, the work God called them to do was left. And I can't help but feel like we are so similar to that today. We have similar reasons why the temple can't be built. I mean, I don't think any of you have three chariots, but we have similar reasons why we can't do what God has called us to do. God knew the hearts of the Israelites 
God knows our hearts as well, and he sees through our excuses and our piled up reasoning. And he asks us, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? Why are you getting so caught up in the comfort of this life when what I've called you to do is neglected? Why are you focused on living so well in this world that you've neglected to be in my presence? Why are you worried about your physical needs more than your spiritual needs, more than the spiritual needs of those around you? It's that same question. And this is when Haggai comes in with a bit of a wake-up call that may not have been welcomed at the time. And so we're reading again, verse 3 to 11. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink, but you're still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you're putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what is happening to you. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it. And I will be honored, says the Lord. See, you hoped for rich harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies. While all of you are busy building your own fine houses, it's because of you that the heavens withhold their dew and the earth produces no crops. I've called for drought on your fields and hills and drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops. A drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you've worked so hard to get. Look at what is happening to you. Are we working so hard but feel like nothing is happening? Are we saying, yeah, God is real and I believe in him, but we don't feel close to him. We don't feel like we are in his presence. working at doing things, but are never truly satisfied. Why? Because we've neglected God. Because we've neglected to be in his presence, to worship him, to do the things that he has called us to do. Maybe God called you to do something one, five, 10, 20-ish plus years ago but you haven't done yet, done it yet because hasn't been time, hasn't been the right season, hasn't been time to build. Or perhaps it's something else, like God is just calling you to be in his word, calling you to be in prayer. But I don't have enough time. Maybe he's calling us to be in a Bible study or to lead a Bible study, but it's just hard because it's going to cost me waking up earlier or committing to a group of people or it's going to cost me, cost me my time. Are we using the same excuses that the Israelites had? No matter what it is, how big or small we may think the call is, God is calling us to seek him, to follow him and to obey him. 
The call to build is the call to obey. See, obedience is not comfortable. Obedience will cost us time and money and energy. It's not always convenient. It's not always fun, but obedience to God and what he's calling us to do is always, always worth it. So for God's people to say no to building the temple then was to say no to obeying him. And then to not obey God was leading them down this same path that their ancestors had already been on, that they had already been on. And so we see God getting their attention through this judgment on them, bringing them, um, or not bringing them rain, withholding his blessings from them because their priorities are out of order. And so when our priorities are out of order, we may, we may struggle. We may have financial struggles or we may just notice things are happening that are just annoying or get in the way. I know, I know a few times in our married life, Jono and I, there were times where we forgot to tithe. And it's not that like we didn't want to, we didn't not want to tithe. I think I said that right. <laughs> we wanted to tithe. It's not that we didn't want to, but we just forgot. Like just life was happening, things got in the way, and then a month would go by and we'd realize well, we'd realize things were just kind of getting annoying, like there were just annoying things popping up, and we'd realize that we forgot to tithe. And so we would have to, we'd come before God, we'd confess that, and we would give him the full tithe, but it's because our priorities were not right. We were just getting caught up in our own lives and our own things. But then it's also other things like spending that time with the Lord, reading the Bible, being in his presence. Sometimes like there's days where it's just too busy and it's just too hard to fit that in. But if we keep that up over time and we don't spend time in his word seeking him, then we're going to find that we're going to struggle because our minds and our lives are not filled with the things of God. And then we're going to wonder why we're being tempted to sin or we're going to wonder why we're getting caught up in these things that are not of God. It's because we haven't been with him. James 4 verse 17 says, remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. We need to examine our priorities because even not doing the things that we know we should be doing, that's a sin just as much as the bad things that we should stay away from are. So is God trying to get your attention the same way that he was getting the Israelites' attention? He's calling us to come back to him. He loves us so, so much. He wants us to love him. He wants us to know him, to confess to him, to come near to him. James 4, 7 to 10 says, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. James 4, 7 to 10. The cost of building, the cost of obeying, it will cost us comfort, it will cost us time, 
but it'll cost us a whole heap more if we don't focus on God, if we don't do what he's called us to do. Here in Haggai, when their priorities were on themselves, they struggled because they had taken God out of the picture. So where are we at? Where are we at with God? I do need to say not all of our hardships are because of unfaithfulness. See, sometimes hard stuff just happens. And it's not that we aren't seeking God. We may be seeking God with all we have and all we are. We may be giving him our all, but sometimes those hard things, they just happen and it seems like it just piles upon itself. But it's in those moments when it's so hard, in those moments where our hearts are just breaking, or that in those moments where we feel like we can't see past just that cloud that's over us, we need to keep on choosing to trust in God because it's in those moments that the building is happening. It's in those moments that God is building our faith. And he promises to be with us. Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Keep holding on to him and looking to him. 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. God cares about you. He knows your struggles. He understands that it's hard and he cares for us and he cared for his people right throughout history. It's exactly why he sent the prophets to them. It's why he sent Haggai and everyone else to them to help them to get their priorities right, to help them to refocus on God, to give them that opportunity to come back to him. And so after all this, God speaking through Haggai and telling the people to look at their lives, to see what was going on around them. He called them to do what he said. And he said that he was with them. So when we obey, God is with us. We're going to finish Haggai chapter 1, verses looking at 12 to 15. It says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people, began to obey the message from the Lord their God when they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent. The people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message from the Lord. I am with you, says the Lord. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. They began to work on the house of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21 of the second year of King Darius's reign. See, when they heard God, when they understood what they were doing wrong, they had the choice to make. They could continue on this path of disobedience where they would be judged accordingly, or they could obey and receive the blessings of God, and they chose to obey. They started to rebuild. God gave them the enthusiasm to get the work started, and he helped them finish it. And he says, I am with you. He was there to strengthen them and equip them for the work he has called them to do. 
And it's the same for us. God is with you. He has called you. He has equipped you to follow him. He has given you everything you need to seek his presence and to come before him and to obey him whatever call he's placed on your heart. But it's not easy. Obedience isn't easy. But he is with us. He is for you. He will not forget your obedience. Hebrews 6 Verse 10, for God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. God sees what has been done and God remembers and will bless. So maybe today you've been reminded of something that God's called you to do. Maybe it was a while ago. Is he still calling you to that thing now? Maybe God is telling you to step out of your comfort zone and to obey in a way that he's called you to obey. Maybe it's recognizing that he hasn't been in your life or he hasn't been a priority in your life and you want to start seeking him. We always have the opportunity to do that because it is time to build the temple, to be in his presence, to worship him, to serve him, to obey him, and to focus on him, to count the cost and to trust him. I've actually been really struggling with this message over this week and I've changed it so, so many times that I've got this folder of different ways that this message could have gone. And I, what's funny is as I was reading through Haggai, I really felt in my heart that this was what God wanted me to share on. And so I was like, okay, Let's go. And I spoke with God through it. We talked through it. But then this week, as we kind of got close to the Sunday, I started to fall apart. I started to get really nervous. I was really nervous this morning. Um, but on, on Friday, I fell into this moment of just complete panic. My day kind of just flipped on its head. And I had these moments where my heart was just racing and I felt overwhelmed and it was just too much. And then I had these reasons and these thoughts and excuses come in. It was saying like, did God call me to do this? Does God really want me to share? Maybe I should just like go run away and just have someone else figure out Sunday morning and like it would just be easier for me. But in those moments where my mind was just in chaos, I did what I know well, the best thing to do in those moments. I put on worship. I put on this song, and it's called I Give Thanks. And it's actually um, Micaiah's song, the, the song for our first baby in heaven. And it's a song that says, I will give thanks to God when, because he's more than enough, when I don't have enough. He knows what I need. Why should I worry? Because he knows what I need. And so I put that song on. I sat on the floor. I cried and then I just breathed. I focused on my breath and I focused on the words of this song and the truth in this song. God knows what I need. God is the strength. God is my strength. And then God spoke to me again in those moments when I was having, once I was calmed down, God spoke to me again. It was the enemy does not want us to rebuild. See, the enemy doesn't want us to do what we have been called and created to do. The enemy wants to shut you down. The enemy wants you to hear those thoughts and to believe them, to stop you from going out and sharing because the enemy knows that when you go into God's presence, when you do what you were created to do, when you do what you've been called to do, 
that lives will be changed, that God's word will go out, that God will be honored and glorified. And he doesn't want that. God doesn't want you to rebuild the temple. I mean, the enemy doesn't want you to rebuild the temple. God does want you to do it. And the enemy will do whatever he can to stop you from doing what you have been created to do. He will give you doubts. He will tell you that you are not good enough. He will give you distractions by the worries of this life. He will want you focusing on your own house, whatever it is, so that the work of God is not completed in your life. He wants you to think that it's too hard, but don't fall for his lies. Listen to the voice of truth and be reminded and remember that God is with you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I am certain that God who began the work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day that Jesus Christ returns. He is with you. He has plans for you. He has called you and gifted you. And while you still have breath, he is calling you to seek him, to be in his presence, and to share that with all those around you because he loves you. He knows it will cost you, but he knows that cost is so worth it. He understands what cost is. He gave us his one and only son who paid it all for us, who put aside absolutely everything. Jesus left his father's side to become a human, to die in our place. He paid the ultimate cost. And now we have the joy and the opportunity to serve him, to give our all back to him. And one day when the race is complete, we'll get to celebrate with him in eternity. But are we willing to count that cost now? Are we willing to obey now? Will you pray with me? Well, God, again, I just thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the ways that you speak to us through it, the ways that you reveal yourself to us. You are such a good teacher, Lord. I pray that you would help us to not take your word for granted. Lord, forgive us because we have so much access to your word. We have Bibles everywhere, and yet we forget to read it. Forgive us, Lord. Put in our hearts the desire to know you, Lord. I pray that we would be a church who love your word, that our hearts would just be so on fire for you, Father. Lord, as we think about the different things that you've called us to do, whether that be spending time with you more, whether that be turning to you as soon as we wake up in the morning, spending time in prayer with our families, whether that be stepping out in obedience to that thing that you have called us to do. Father, may we listen to your voice alone. May we focus on your voice of truth, Lord. I pray that you would protect each one as they step out and trust you. Father, I pray that you would guide us, that we would, well, that we would seek your guidance and that we would follow you each step of the way. I thank you for the things that you are going to do. And Father, I pray that we would be obedient to you, that we would not get caught up in distractions, but that we would be able to put those aside, come before you and confess our need of you. 
Oh, we just thank you that you are always, always with us. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.